Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hear the word of the Lord from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murders, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the adulterers, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jazeth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamert's temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the king of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord be with you, Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. A very happy 4th of July to you all. 
A tidbit of interesting trivia, 364 days ago, I preached at TCC for the very first time. Kind of cool. Our passage today is the entirety of chapter 1 in the book of Revelation. If you did a, which one of these does not belong, of the New Testament, Revelation may be towards the top of many people's lists. And its imagery, battles, and vision for the future can, at first glance, be intimidating. And that's okay. We're only looking at one chunk of it today, and when we do, we'll see that God's intention for citizenship is here as in heaven. God's intention for citizenship is here as in heaven. We'll get to what that exactly means in a minute. Here in the U.S. of A., patriotism is in the air, literally. I still smell the smoke from all the fireworks that have been going off in my neighborhood for the last several weeks. And not only is it the 4th of July, Independence Day, that celebrates the independence of America's 13 colonies from the British in 1776, but it's also Olympics time. Now, I love the Olympics. My wife Claire and I have been watching all the trials, the gymnastics, the track and field, the swimming. We love it. In case you didn't know, which I'm pretty sure you do, the U.S. is pretty darn good when it comes to to these games. To put this into perspective, the U.S. has more all-time medals in the Summer Olympics than the next three countries on the all-time list combined. As an athlete, there is no greater achievement than making that U.S. Olympic team. You get to walk under the stars and stripes during the opening ceremonies, represent your country for all to see, and forever you will be known as an Olympian. That's pretty cool as well. Now, I'll let you in on on a little secret. In the University of Michigan track and field locker room, one of the most consistent topics of conversation revolved, and probably still does, revolve around where all of our parents were born. Why? Because if even one of your parents was merely born in another country, you were eligible for that country's Olympic team. It's this weird loophole, and I know plenty of folks who have taken advantage of it. We can ask, well, why would that matter? Because it's a whole lot easier to be a star pole vaulter for Liechtenstein than the most dominant country in the history of sports. There's an interesting tension that lies within this. To represent another country in the Olympics isn't to downplay one's pride in the U.S., but to celebrate the opportunities that this dual citizenship of sorts can provide. Pole vaulting for Liechtenstein doesn't make you less of an American. It makes you an American who is pole vaulting for Liechtenstein. If you grew up here, then you're not going to leave behind all the cultural and psychological markers that are a part of who you are. Just because you're pole vaulting for Liechtenstein. These traits inform and shape how you orient yourself in the world, no matter what country is emblazoned on your singlet. It's actually the proper name for the top half of a track uniform. Lame. I know. You probably know or have a sense of where this is going, but all the Christian magazine articles, blogs, columns, yada yada, heading into this week, often ask the same question. What does it mean especially on the 4th of July, to be a Christian and to be an American. What order are we in? 
Am I a Honduran slash Japanese slash Dutch American wearing a Christian singlet or the other way around? Whether this is your first time checking out church or your 4,680th, which would be every Sunday for 90 years, you may find yourself pondering this very question, and it's a toughie. And one that has been wrestled with throughout this country's history. For instance, this country was founded on the principle that all men are created equal, a distinctly and uniquely Christian concept that we are all made in the image of God. But it took until June 19, 1865, nearly 90 years later, for all of the states in the Confederacy to outlaw slavery. An evil, evil institution of an individual owning another individual as their property, which is a profoundly anti-Christian institution that flies in the face of the biblical precedent that we are all made in the image of God. Today, there's deep disagreement over how to approach this question of patriotism and the Christian faith. For some, they are so similar as to be synonymous, but for others, they are mutually exclusive. I'm a Christian only. I just happen to live here on one side, and on the other, I'm an American, which automatically means I'm a Christian. This plays out in politics, in the media, and I can only imagine all over social media. What a jungle that is. And as Christians, people tasked with peace, unity, and truth, worshiping as members of the church, a global body that crosses borders, celebrating a day of independence within these borders in this country, it can leave us asking, how am I supposed to make sense of it all? Lucky for us, our passage today has an answer. Eugene Peterson describes the book of Revelation as pulling its reader into a world of sky battles between angels and beasts, lurid punishments and glorious salvations, kaleidoscopic vision and cosmic song. It is a world in which children are instinctively at home and in which adults, by becoming as little children, recapture an elemental involvement in the basic conflicts and struggles that permeate moral existence and then go on to discover again the soaring adoration and primal affirmations for which God made us. In other words, it's wild. It's written firsthand by John, whom scholars state is the same John who wrote the fourth gospel. And it is written to the seven historical churches located at the time in the Roman province of Asia, which is now modern day Turkey. John is writing down the vision that God has given him about the second coming of Jesus and his establishment of the new heaven and new earth. Revelation in Greek is uh, apocalypsis, which is where we get, you guessed it, apocalypse. In ancient Near East literature, this was actually a genre of writing. Apocalypses were meant to interpret present earthly circumstances in light of supernatural, heavenly realities and the future. In John's vision, God is revealing his ultimate purposes for judgment and salvation of the world. And in the first 20 chapters of this book, there's a whole bunch of both, but our passage begins like this. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. We get to see what God's new creation will look like, and drumroll... It's a city. 
Not just any city, but the new Jerusalem, the redeemed Jerusalem, the holy city of Israel, beautiful and pure. This depiction of Jerusalem is in direct contrast to the ugliness and defiledness of Babylon, sin city incarnate, condemned just a few chapters earlier. And now the city, the new creation, is absolutely enormous. Verses 16 and 17 say the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. This place, a perfect square, is 1,400 miles long, which is like from here to Dallas, Texas, and the wall is 200 feet thick. This city is so big and so immense that even if John Van Ryan and Jake Bosma worked on building it together, it would still take them at least three weeks to finish. Now, God himself is in this city. The gates of the city have the 12 tribes of Israel inscribed on them, and the walls have the 12 apostles' names. The continuity of Israel with the church, not their separation. Sun and moon are no longer needed because God is literally there, providing eternal light. And because he is there, because it has been redeemed, there will be no more pain. There will be no more sadness, no more funerals, there will be no more tears. And God will freely provide for all that the people need. There are about five dozen sermons that could be preached on all of this alone. But the answer to our Independence Day question lies in verses 24 to 27. It says, The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Did you hear that? There is one city, but the nations will walk by its light. See, Christians are equal in their sin, and they are equal in being recipients of God's grace, but that does not mean that Christians are carbon copies of one another. Here and now, we are all shaped by our ethnicity, our cultural background, our nationality, but what our passage tells us is that those characteristics will not be flattened in the new creation. The new Jerusalem, God's dwelling place, will be filled with the unique qualities of the nations of the world. And the people of those nations will not be erased, but they will be honored and brought into the new creation. See, the new creation will therefore be full of difference. And notice one thing more in verse 25. It says, On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Aha! See, cities in the ancient Near East surrounded by walls had gates that they would open during the day for travel, for farming, trading, etc. But at night, the gates would close so that the city wouldn't be attacked in the darkness. But the gates in the New Jerusalem, despite all of the differences inside, will be forever open because there will be no fear of attack. 
the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it, and there, there will be peace. There will be unity. See, because unity, as our passage is telling us, does not mean homogeneity. In the new creation, there will be peace and unity, not despite differences between people, groups, and nations, but on account of them. And how, how is all of this possible? Because Jesus Christ won that unity, won that peace, taking the sins of the world upon himself when he went to the cross. Every nation and its people is equally flawed, equally sinful, and equally in need of saving. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God offers forgiveness to us all equally. In the new creation, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought in. There will be unity. There will be peace. There will not be fear of attack because the foundation of it all will be Jesus' blood atoning for the sins of the world. I watched a movie, uh, ironically named There Will Be Blood, last weekend. And it follows the battle between an ambitious oil tycoon trying to buy up land on the western frontier and a religious cult leader's efforts to stop him. The two men try to find common ground several times, despite their extreme differences, but they are both so set in their ways that their relationship ends in hatred, violence, and murder. This is a microcosm of human nature, one that only Jesus can free us from. Only Jesus can wash us equally clean of our sin, show us so equally, shower us so equally in his blood that our differences are not only tolerated in the name of peace and unity, but honored as fundamental components that celebrate the diversity of God's creation and of his people. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe that he defeated sin and rose from the dead, then your citizenship is to his kingdom. He is your king. He is your Lord. As Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. You believe in him, you belong to him. You belong to his kingdom here and now above all else. That is who you are. And the new creation, you will belong to his city. You will belong to the new Jerusalem, but that city will be made up of the nations of the world in the same way that the U.S. is made up of 50 states. Your passport says kingdom of God, but he still wants you to wear your USA signet proudly because you wear it for him. So on Independence Day, recognize that your identity as a follower of Jesus is now and will be forever supreme but the country you reside in now, despite the sins of its past and its present that are to be repented of, is to be honored and celebrated as it will be in the new creation. That is God's intention for citizenship here as in heaven. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.